This episode is brought to you by Succession on HBO. Critics hail the first season of Succession as the best show on television, irresistible entertainment, and a must-watch show. Five Emmy nominations, including Outstanding Drama Series. Visit hbo.com slash FYC for more on Succession. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Awardist. My name is Lynette Rice, and I'm here with... Kristen Baldwin. Oh, but we're missing a voice. Henry Goldblatt. He's vacationing with Ma, so he won't be joining us. But he's up in Seattle, so I hope he's uh, he's uh, uh, pretending to go to Gray Sloan and visit his old pals in the hospital. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Go on that. It's it's called Gray Sloan now, right? Okay. It is Gray Sloan, and so he can still go on the ferry and pretend like he's Meredith, and maybe he can pretend to drown like she did. Yes, I know, and then come back to life and mm-hmm. make lots of money. We're talking about um, Grey's Anatomy, people. Yes, yes. A show that's, I don't remember if it's ever been nominated, certainly not for Best Drama, but that's a story for another day. Right. Another episode of The Awardist. We are here today to talk about the limited series categories, which are actually very exciting, um, exciting in that um, it's going to be hard to uh, handicap, but that's why we're here. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. And after we handicap, uh, Kristen has a very special interview. Who are you talking to today, Kristen? Oh, my God. Hugh, Hugh Grant. <laughs> Literally everything he says is so... Just like, you just want to melt and listen to him. I want him to do like the directions on my GPS where he'll be like, turn left at the corner. I can't even do it. But like, it's just, he's so soothing. He can make anything sound sexy and and sophisticated. He should do it for the, he should do the floors and New York elevators because uh, they have some chick who does it seductively. First floor. Yeah. Lobby. Oh, lobby. She goes, lobby. Yeah, she's very, lobby. like, super excited about the lobby, and it's really yeah, kind lobby. of disturbing. Lobby. Yeah, it is, Dobby, but if it, it was a Hugh Grant, we should, have told, yeah. we should tell him to say, lobby. You know, he does say in the interview, though, that he's always been a bit snobby, and he has never done... Uh, commercial. So I'm not sure that he would ever record a voice for Waze or the lobby elevators at Sirius XM um, he, <laughs> where we're talking a, about. Yeah. No Geico commercial for Hugh Grant. Not yet. Yeah. Never yeah, say never. Never say never. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's start off with the gals. Let's start off with the women of lead actress in a limited series. Who are last year's nominees? Let's go down, down memory lane. Sure. So we had Jessica Beale for The Sinner. Laura Dern for The Tale, Michelle Dockery for Godless, Edie Falco for Law and Order True Crime, colon, The Menendez Murders, and the winner <laughs> was Regina King for Seven Seconds. Which is a little surprising. I think I, I recall, I picked uh, Laura Dern for The Tale, yeah. uh, which was the HBO drama. Um, is that, did you pick her too? I think I did because, I mean, that was this. Uh, this is for, you know, uh, movie and limited series, and she was uh, playing true life story of a woman remembering her sexual abuse, and like generally that seems like on the money awards material, and she is of course great. But on the other hand, Regina King can do no wrong. Right, right. I I, I just felt like not a lot of people saw that. Do you remember what platform it was on? Netflix. It was a sort of a, it was from the woman who created uh, The Killing, I want to say. And she played a mom whose whose child was killed. And 
uh, you know, she was fantastic. I didn't love the show, but, you know, she's Regina King. She was fantastic. All right, so this year's nominees are a- Amy Adams from Sharp Objects, Patricia Arquette from Escape at Danamora, Ingenue Ellis, When They See Us, Joey King, The Act, Niecy Nash, When They See Us, and Michelle Williams, Fosse Verdon. What a great freaking lineup. I know. Uh, you start. You do the, the heavy lifting. Who will win and who should win? There is literally no chance that anyone other than Michelle Williams will win. I know that Are I am, you sure? I am, Are you sure? I should not have said literally because obviously there's a chance <laughs> that other people, but it is. she is such a heavy favorite. I think she would have to you know, go out and do some kind of really offensive interview or something between now and August 29th when voting ends. I mean, this performance as uh, Gwen Verdon it has been universally hailed as really just a marvel. And while these other performances have, you know, are, are great as well, just by far and away, she seemed to be doing something just so transformative in in this miniseries that I, I think it's just going to be really hard for anyone to beat her. Well, I will say Michelle will win, but for who should win, I'm a massive Patricia Arquette fan. Mm-hmm. And uh, in her character in Escape at Denimore, this was the Showtime uh, miniseries based on the true life uh, prison breakout and, and the men who seduced her and pulled her into their lair. And, and oh, it was just awful. She was great. She, she was great. She made her so empathetic, and I, you felt sorry. She had no life. Yeah. She had this, this, just this boring life, and she was thrilled that these men, this uh, uh, this man, was showing her attention, and she would do anything for her. And you, I, I just, I really empathize with the character. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was a segment of society, and she captured it. And you know, she's also an Oscar winner too. So I'm feeling like that's going to work in her favor. Yeah. And by the way, she. She's nominated in another category as well. So she's definitely had a great year. And uh, I certainly wouldn't be upset if she won because she's great. But I really think it's going to go to Michelle Williams. Okay. All right. So how about a lead actor in a limited series? Let's go back to last year. Who was nominated? I always laugh when I say this, and I shouldn't. Antonio Banderas in Genius Picasso. It just—I know. I just—he was in a show called Genius Picasso. <laughs> like he played Picasso. It was more. I just—it seemed more like if, like you know, Puss in Boots from Shrek played Picasso. It just it wasn't right. It just wasn't right. <laughs> Sorry. So the no, so the nomination was the win for him. Is yes, what you're Benedict Cumberbatch right. for Patrick Melrose. Jeff Daniels for The Looming Tower, John Legend, it looms, looms. Uh, John Legend for Jesus Christ Superstar, he played Jesus Christ, and uh, Jesse Plemons for USS Callister, which was an episode, sort of a special episode of Black Mirror, and the winner, the winner was Darren Chris, who played Andrew Cunanan in The Assassination of Gianni Versace, and he, like, we knew from day one when we saw the first episode that, like, this was an award-winning performance. It was, yeah, because I did. I, I loved me some Jesse from yes. Black Mirror. If you if you haven't yet, go back, dig up that episode uh, on Netflix. Oh man, it was so good. But yes, Darren Chris, he was the man. All right, so this year's nominees: Mahershala Ali from uh, True Detective, Benicio del Toro, the one who seduced Patricia Arquette uh, on um, Escape at Danamora. Hugh Grant, a very English scandal. Jared Harris from Chernobyl. Jarrell Jerome, when they see us, and Sam Rockwell, Fosse Verdon. 
Who it's shouldn't like, wheel, girl? Uh, it's a good lineup. It's hard because it's hard. This is hard. You know, I think that uh, Jared Harris was great, but I don't. You know, he was great, but I I didn't feel like it was you know a huge stretch in his range uh, in Chernobyl. Um, Hugh Grant not just because he has the most charming voice ever, but he does such a wonderful job in a very English scandal. He plays Jeremy Thorpe, who was this real-life politician embroiled in this uh, homosexual affair that, you know, just completely uh, made crazy headlines in the 60s in England. And, you know, it's a very sort of different role for him. I thought he was fantastic. But it is so hard when they, you then go up a, against a performance like Jarrell Jerome's in When They See Us. He's the, you know, he played one of the, uh, you know, falsely accused Central Park Five, and he, uh, Corey Wise, and he played the one, he plays him all the way throughout uh, the series. Some of the other actors are played by younger actors in the beginning and then older actors later, but he plays Corey through the whole thing. And his transformation from this, like, scared young boy to this, you know, really sort of, hardened yet also defeated a you know young adult male who spent a lot of his life in prison is just I mean it's just heartbreaking and I don't know I just don't know if you can beat that so I kind of think just as yeah I, yeah I, I, I feel like I'm gonna go should and will Jarell Jerome I have to agree with you um just the courtroom scene alone Ugh. where he's seen his life spin out of control he cannot control it he can't adjust the narrative that is happening around him and he doesn't understand what's happening around him the fear in his his Ugh. eyes alone i mean it, it was just it was gripping it was just I, gripping i can't <laughs> like i can't even think about it without crying like it's yeah. it's so so intense and brutal and he is so incredible in it so it's hard because all of these guys give you know great performances but you know he really just did something on a neck on another level i i do feel like while we can both agree on should i believe there could be a chance that sam rockwell would come in with the will win you simply so? because of the power of the project yeah and a, a, across from uh michelle yeah he's the only one that would potentially take it away from Jarrell. uh i mean mahershala is mahershala uh i think that weren't there still kind of mixed reviews about oh, the for season sure. of detective? Yeah. yeah and you know he had a challenging role he played a man it was a bunch of different times Timelines, and in one of them, he was an old man with Alzheimer's. Like, so yeah, this was like a real intense performance for him, and he did a great job. But the show itself, the season itself, was not, he was probably the best part about it. So let's move on to Best Supporting Actress in a Limited Series. Take us back to 2018. So Sarah Bareilles for Jesus Christ Superstar. She played Mary Magdalene. Penelope Cruz for The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Judith Light, National Treasure for The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Adina Porter for American Horror Story Cult. Letitia Wright for Black Museum, which is an episode of Black Mirror. And the winner was Merritt Weaver for Godless. Yes, such a great role. She was great. She deserved that. That's another show you must go back on Netflix and binge. I thought that I wouldn't like it because I don't like Westerns. I loved it. And I just feel like it didn't get enough attention. Certainly it did get awards and everything, but I do feel like more people should check it out. 
Yes. Okay. So this year's nominees: uh, Patricia Arquette again, the act. Yes. Um, Marsha, and that was brilliant, by the way. Brilliant um, uh, strategy by her team to put her here as supporting actress, so she could also run for you know best actress mm-hmm. for Escape of Denmark. So girlfriend can win twice. Can you uh, imagine? Very smart. Like yeah, playing against herself, competing uh, <laughs> against herself, and then like um, uh, so. Patricia Arquette, the act, uh, Marsha, Steph, and by the way, it's not a supporting role. In oh, that. for sure. This was <laughs> a pure strategy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Marsha, Stephanie Blake, When They See Us, Patricia Clarkson, Clarkson from Sharp Objects, v- Vera Farmiga from When They See Us, Margaret Qualey from Fosse Verdon, and Emily Watson from Chernobyl. Gosh, this is a great category. It is. It is. Uh, what do you think? You know, Mm. This is tough. Uh, I guess I would say that I think I didn't love Sharp Objects. In fact, you know, I got halfway through it and I was like, okay, nothing's happening. Bye. Um, But there were a lot of great performances in it. Uh, I do think that Patricia Clarkson, basically anytime she does anything, is pretty flawless. Uh, I think given the size of that role compared to the size of the other roles here um it may i think it's going to i think she should and she will all right you know what kristen i'm gonna have to agree with you there because um patricia clarkson played a wicked good kind of crazy mom and uh you didn't know whether to feel sorry for her at first mm-hmm. or just hate her and then you end up hating her yeah um yeah but she screwed up uh but she didn't murder little girls she just was screwed up <laughs> well yeah she just you know poisoned her children but sure but just she just pointed but she but she did it in the name of caring so <laughs> as as did uh no doubt uh patricia arquette in the act Two, yeah, two, yeah. two stories with moms, you know, Munchausen by proxying their their children. So that's fine. Isn't that interesting? That's too? fine. I, I, I feel like some jokes coming on. If they had a host, but they won't be having a host, so no jokes to be had. Well, you know, yeah. it, whoever's introing this category could, you know, try to work Munchausen into a pun or something. Right, right. So I'm going to say should and will win Patricia Clarkson. All right. Kristen, who are last year's nominees? We had Brandon Victor Dixon, Jesus Christ Superstar, John Leguizamo for Waco. Ricky. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not, I feel like it's Leguizamo. It is absolutely not Leguizamo, <laughs> you weirdo. Ricky Martin right. for Assassination of Gianni Versace. Edgar Ramirez for Assassination of Gianni Versace. Michael Stuhlbarg for The Looming Tower, which looms. Finn looms. Whitrock looms. for The Assassination of Gianni Versace. And the winner was Jeff Daniels, who was also nominated in a, the other category uh, for Godless. So he had two roles uh, that year, and he won for one of them. Can I just have a quick sidebar here? Whenever I moderate a panel and there's somebody with, whose name isn't something simple like Ray Smith, I have like a... <laughs> quick flop sweat behind the, 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 the podium worried. And I almost always script their name anyway. And, and, you know, you're so embarrassed yes. and yeah, it's yeah. so horrifying. So, God forbid I should ever moderate a panel with John Leguizamo. Yeah. That Leguizamo. Would not be good. Leguizamo. Um, I believe that Jeff Daniels was, um, Totally deserving. I think we picked him, too, last year as well. Right? Yeah, I can't remember. I think I might have picked Edgar R- Ramirez because he was so good as Gianni Versace. Um, and, but, you know, and I didn't see Waco, so I'm not sure how John okay. Leguizamo was. But I'm sure he was great. All right. So this year's nominees, let me uh, scan them real quick, make sure I could uh, pronounce them correctly. Oh, God. <laughs> look who one of the name nominees are. 
John Leguizamo. Now I'm afraid to... You just do all these, Chris. I'm afraid. 2019, the nominees are Asante Black, the heartbreakingly adorable little boy from When They See Us. Oh, God. Those Uh, eyes. When he starts tearing up, I can't even. Paul Dano from Escape at Danamora. John Leguizamo from When They See Us. Stellan Skarsgård for Chernobyl. Ben Wishaw, A Very English Scandal. And Michael K. Williams from When They See Us. Oh, gosh. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. I am actually going to say should win will be Asante. Those eyes alone. He was so sad. Uh, Paul Dano was pretty creepy yeah. uh, in Escape Dano. He was so good, but I'm afraid this his performance is going to be overlooked because the competition here is just so good. Um, I'm going to... I'm actually going to go with Ben Wishaw from A Very English yeah. Scandal, uh, simply for the reasons that you've gone on and on about. He, he's so good. He plays uh, Norman Scott, who is the man that, uh, you know, this very sort of sophisticated and important parliament member, uh, you know, finds him at when he's out in the country visiting a friend and Norman Scott is working as a stable boy and they, you know, begin this affair and it's like, and then, you know, it goes on for years. But of course, when, uh, he threatens to, you know, make it public, then Jeremy Thorpe tries to have him killed and it becomes just this comedy of errors. And Ben Wishaw is so, uh, he goes through so many different sort of uh, phases as Norman. You know, he's uh, this coy stable boy, and then he's, you know, this famous model. And then uh, he becomes like this transfixing figure in English society that the public just adores. Uh, and, you know, he's just great in it. So I think if that series is going to have a win, it will be for Ben Wishaw. I think the bigger picture here, something certainly to keep an eye out for during the Emmys is whether uh, when they see us has the potential to sweep the Emmys because um, this was... This was a very important moment in our zeitgeist. It got so much attention. Mm -hmm. Uh, Given the political climate now, there's a very good chance that we could see this miniseries sweep. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be crushed if it did. I think it would be great. Uh, I think that just kind of looms over. If there's one movie in particular that could dominate uh, the Emmys, it's that many series. So yeah. I think that's definitely something to look out for. There's so many other great performances, but the power of that story is just immeasurable. And so I, it, it'll be exciting to see what happens. Yeah, and even just the sort of ongoing uh, effects of it in real life in terms of like people, you know, really looking back on this period in New York's history and wanting to rectify a lot of the wrongs that uh, that happened in terms of, you know, Linda Fairstein and other other figures who were a big part of this case. So, uh, yeah. And it's ties to Trump and how Trump mm-hmm. today was asked about the ad that he took out vilifying these men and these he's boys. never taken resp- these, boys. Boy, these boys and, and these calling boys. for their execution. Right, right. So there's, I mean, if anything, this could be a vote against Trump for the voters, um, the M- the uh, uh, Emmy voters. Yeah. So it, it could be, it could be an interesting night. It, yeah, there's right, going to so be a lot of uh, feelings tied up in, in this race. A lot of race. feelings. Imagine those those speeches. That's going to be an opportunity yeah. for these actors. And if um, Ava DuVernay gets up because uh, she's a nominee in limited series, uh, God, it could be good. Uh, and that's where we're going to get to, limited series. Um, let me start with last year's nominees. The Alienist on TNT. 
Genius Picasso, Godless on Netflix, Patrick Melrose on Showtime, and the winner was, of course, The Assassination of Gianni Versace. Uh, who are these this year's nominees, Kristen? So this year we have Chernobyl on HBO, Escape at Danamora on Showtime, Fosse Verdon for, from FX, Sharp Objects from HBO, and When They See Us. So this is a, you know, this is really like the race to watch because limited series are where some of the best work is being done on TV, uh, especially... Right. And some years they're boring. Some yeah. years they're kind of boring. Yeah, not this year. Not this year. <laughs> and, you know, some of these shows, like shows like Big Little Lies and Downton Abbey have both uh, started as limited series and then they become, uh, you know, drama series. I don't really see that happening with any of these here because these are all sort of close-ended stories. I, you know, you're not going to be like Chernobyl season two. Although, you know, I don't know, there's certainly... Plenty they could tell in terms of the years and years and years of of uh, trauma that that right. that country experienced, but most of these seem to be true limited series. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like for the exception of Sharp Objects, I would be fine if any of them won. Yeah, um, although I my will and should is going to be when they see us. Yeah, I agree. I do think that Chernobyl uh, has the best chance to to sort of win over when they see us but i really think it's a race between those two and uh both are incredibly you know well done and both sort of tackle a similar topic in that they're talking about sort of systematic uh problems that caused you know intense suffering run by governments and agencies that were essentially you know not uh telling the truth and so it's hard to say you know they both got a similar number of nominations i believe but i think when they see us really has the momentum at this point were you a fan of sharp objects i was not I was not either. I stuck with it. Uh, I stuck with it because it's it. You know, the author is obviously close to us. Uh, mm -hmm. Gillian Flynn. She she worked for us, and she, this was um, her first book, and it was incredible. Uh, this was just freaking depressing. <laughs> it was depressing, and like. Not a lot really happened, and I know by the end you get the house and the teeth and great, okay. But, like, it just, it was a lot of sort of brooding atmosphere with Amy Adams, who was fantastic, you know, sort fantastic. of drinking yeah. and, and, you know, brooding around. But I just, it wasn't my cup of tea. Um, I know a lot of people loved it, uh, and I know they had talked at one point about a second season, but God, just let oh, it where die. Where are you going? You let it die. Let it die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> much like right. they should have let Big Little Lies die, uh, which is a debate that Darren and I have all the time. But uh, so yeah, I think uh, I I would be happy with when they see us winning or Chernobyl. I wasn't. I liked Escape at Danamora, but I thought it had problems. Fosse Verdon was just too Broadway nerdy for me, though Michelle Williams is great. And Sharp Objects just, it it was a little too atmos atmosphere over, you know, content for me. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, remind us again who you're talking to, Kristen. Hugh Grant, who might at one point in the interview say that I am his favorite journalist. No. It's true. What did what did you had just say before that? I'm not going to tell you. You're gonna, up. You're not. I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to listen. All right. You're listening to the awardist. We'll be right back.
BAFTA and Golden Globe winning movie star Hugh Grant earned his first ever Emmy nomination this year with Amazon's A Very English Scandal. Grant uses every ounce of his charm and comedic skill in this true-life story of Jeremy Thorpe, the leader of the Liberal Party in Parliament, whose relationship with a young man caused an outrageous and sometimes hilarious scandal in the 1960s. Congratulations on your very first Emmy nomination. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. I wanted to ask you about playing real-life figures. Uh, Actors can have different approaches. Some like to do as much research as possible, while others kind of want to base their performance primarily on what's on the page. What is your approach when you play a real-life figure? Yeah, well, you've put your finger on it. It is a difficult balance because, especially when it's quite a recent real life figure and right. he's there on YouTube and <laughs> you know it's very tempting just to uh, research it and, and, and become you know it, it, particularly with the YouTube I, I found I just was doing an imitation right and I thought uh, this might not be enough <laughs> so I was also I was also digging very deep into the text of the of the uh script is a beautiful beautifully written script by Russell Davis and right. uh you know creating uh, a backstory as you would for a completely invented character right and you you've talked about how you were alive during this scandal like you remember it growing up but i imagine it's very different uh you know looking at it as an adult well i don't i'm not sure about that it's still <laughs> it, it always was just high comedy really i right. mean it was marvelous sort of grotesque Monty Python comedy that we all loved in the 70s, but particularly as a teenager, I was a late teenager, and it was marvellous to see all these uh, stuffy establishment figures sort of tumbling over and being exposed. Uh, and I'm not sure really that a grown-up's view of it is much different. I mean, it's, it's certainly the, the approach of Russell Davis in, the, in his script, although he has also, of course, injected a lot of heart. There's a lot mm-hmm. of tragedy uh in Thorpe's character and in um and in Ben Wishaw's character Norman Scott yeah and he's I mean they're both uh it you it is very funny but it's also like you do you feel you feel sad for both of them uh especially you know well I hope so and I think that's what you know I mean I I would think you've hit a, a golden seam if you can manage to make uh comedy and tragedy coexist in the same moment or in the same scene or in the same episode. Right. Um, well, and Jeremy Thorpe, you know, he was playing a role in the public eye that was clearly different from his true self. And I guess as an actor, is it more challenging or somehow easier to play a character who is himself acting? Well, I think it helps, really. It helps um, in terms of expressing the conflict between one's exterior and one's interior. Mm-hmm. It certainly helps if the exterior was quite um, unusual and flamboyant and um, uh, sort of eccentric. Right. And then you just, you know, occasionally can put the brakes on it and let the inner life shine through. So it's it's quite helpful. Yeah. And uh, so did you, were you going down like a YouTube rabbit hole watching speeches of his and then did you stop yourself? Or <laughs> well, it was irresistible. <laughs> it, it, it was irresistible to, 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 to watch him. And in fact, to listen, I did a lot of audio because he, he was a, he was actually a very highly regarded broadcaster. He and was on lots of um, radio shows 
uh, here as panel shows and things like that. And one of the most extraordinary things for me was that he was considered extremely witty and amusing. Mm-hmm. And uh, friends of his that I spoke to when I was researching the whole part said, oh, yes, yes, Jeremy, it was terribly funny. And I'm listening to these old radio shows and watching him on TV and thinking, he wasn't at all funny. <laughs> and I realized what he was was, was dated. That, that passed as funny in the 50s and 60s, right. early 70s. And, um, and actually dated was a word that I put a huge sort of uh, magic marker circles round right. on my endless sheets of paper because in a way his tragedy and the tragedy of the piece in a way is a man who was, his time was running out. The, right. the time for that kind of guy from, who came from the best school, the best kind of family, went to the best university, an establishment Brit. Mm-hmm. was running out and it was the time beginning of the 60s and you know he so Jeremy Thorpe could not believe that he wouldn't win his uh right his court case hands down why would they why would they listen to this uh simpering homosexual but of right. course the public and the jury actually kind of loved the simpering homosexual well right and sort of hated Thorpe yeah yeah no it's really interesting it's the changing of the guard in british culture really and also like he was if he had lived in another time later, like he might have been able to live his true life in a way, you know. So it is interesting that he was both. I think so. Although I, I know people, you know, to this day from that kind of background, even of my age, uh-huh. uh, who's, they, they're more out than Thorpe was, but they're not really out. Yeah. You don't, you don't really talk about them being gay, though everyone knows they're gay. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So it still exists. Yeah, no, that's true. So this was your first uh, real, like, intense TV experience. Is that true? Yes. You said in a recent interview that uh, you found it, it's long hours, like very, very difficult schedule. Well, no, that's the one I've just finished. Actually, that was that was kind of long, but uh, thought was relatively quick, and in a way, it's nice because. Uh, I'm a very impatient man, and, and you know, filmmaking is unbelievably slow. The technologies yeah. hasn't really moved on much since 1920, and it's just bloody slow. You're doing, on a feature film, maybe two pages a day right. in script. And at least on television, I found out that we were doing, you know, five or six. So I like that. Otherwise, I'd melt down and go toxic. And yeah, I mean, it's just boring sitting around. Uh, You know, it's interesting because today uh, the line between TV and movies is almost non-existent in terms of who does what project, you know, and it hasn't always been that way. I mean, if someone had come to you, you know, in 2001 uh, or 2002 and said, you know, Hugh, we have this prestige TV show we want you to do, would you have been like, what are you talking about? Because at that time, you know, quote unquote, movie stars. Oh, I, no, I would have been, I would have been sniffy. And in fact, I think <laughs> I'd forgotten this, but Russell Davis did come to me around about that time. Really? With some series. Yes, he did. And uh, I, I, I never really read it because I just thought, well, I, darling, I don't do television. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the cinema. <laughs> uh, but I, I see that those days have gone. And I mean, what do you think about that? Does it make you sad or does it make you happy that those days have gone? Well, it, 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 well <laughs> it's absurd to be sad because the only thing I, I grieve for or lament is a cinema that was really gone ages ago. It was a cinema made on celluloid. Yeah. And 
played to vast audiences in big cinemas. Right. And then, you know, the multiplex came along and that was that made it all a bit more televisual anyway. And then we all stopped making films on on celluloid. Right. And really, you know, a small gathering of people eating popcorn to watch a glorified DVD is not what I would call glamorous cinema right. anymore. Right. Uh, it's there's it's there's very few pockets of that left. And in fact not a single cinema in Britain has a projector for celluloid anymore. Oh really? I didn't know that. Oh. I know it's heartbreaking. Because that were that click and were yeah. of, of the machine starting up and the light shining through celluloid really had romance. Well, yeah. Um, you know, the magic lantern. And I think there was magic in the magic lantern. And I, I find it harder to get um, excited about shoving on a Blu-ray. <laughs> Do you remember what show it was that Russell offered you back in the day? It had a, it had the name of a vegetable or fruit, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> it was I mean, it had been called banana or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember. But you were you you just it, it was never sort of something that you saw yourself doing at that time. Um, no, and which was stupid. And really, someone should have said, "But hang on, this is Russell Davis, and he's a genius." And then I would have looked at it twice. But I I, I don't know. I mean, I I have been snobby about that. I've, that's one, the reason I've never done commercials. And I, I I you know somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm always seeing a big red carpet at Cannes and people in black tie and right. glamour. Well, I mean, uh, that's understandable. And mystery around, you know, the people involved, but it's all kind of gone. Well, I mean, uh, the thing is, you know, with the fact that everyone, you know, people who are quote-unquote movie stars are doing TV and vice versa, like, it does seem that you can kind of just go where the most interesting work is at this point. Well, no, there's no question that yet. That's where, that's where it is, and I, I'm, I'm, I admit it is a golden age. Yeah. Whenever I can be bothered <laughs> to actually sit down and put Netflix on and ask my son how it works, what the code is, <laughs> uh, it's a cornucopia of quality. What's the last thing you watched on Netflix? Do you remember? Well, uh, Christ. <laughs> I finally watched The Crown oh. and was just astonished by how, how brilliant that was. Yeah. I'm way, way, way behind everyone else. Well, that's okay. I started to watch Breaking Bad the other day. Beat <laughs> that for uh, behind well, the times. Well, you know, that's the beauty yeah. of, of binge television. You can kind of catch up with anything, even if it's, you know, yeah. not recent. Uh, so, obviously, we I, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about uh, Paddington 2, which... Uh, I am absolutely serious when I say you should have been nominated for an Oscar for that role. Um, are you surprised by how beloved that film is across the board? Well, first of all, it's very nice of you to say that. <laughs> You're now my favorite journalist. <laughs> uh, and, uh, well, I knew that it was it had become very popular um, in Britain and in Europe and Australia, places like that. Uh, it never quite got the theatrical audience that we hoped it would get, or that it, that it got in the rest of the world in America. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what went wrong there. Um, but I, I get the feeling, people tell me, that uh, people are catching up with it on, yeah. on you know, other media. 
No, it does seem to... Other be, windows, I think it, the word is. Yes, and it does seem like it's one that, like, uh, it, yeah, it has sort of this groundswell as people are watching it, you know, whether it's uh, on Netflix or, or whatever else. It's a ridiculously good film. I mean, they, they, you talk about the difference between cinema and television. That is cinema. Every shot is yeah. so crafted and witty and, and has so many cinematic references, you know, as just like a Tarantino or a, or a Scorsese. And, uh, and, and all that with proper comedy, yeah. genuinely funny, and, uh, and a kind of morality that sounds trite, but it's strangely moving. I don't see any reason that, for us all not to follow Aunt Lucy's philosophy of life. It's, yeah, no, it's a, really, think, there's well, so well, much, like, humanity to it, you know, and it's just, yeah, it's really funny, but it's also, like, one of the sweetest movies, you know. Uh, did that, you cry when Aunt Lucy turned up at the end? Of course I did. I mean, yes, d- I cry every time, <laughs> and I watch it every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that Phoenix ended up... Uh, in jail doing his fantastic shows, but uh, do you think he could be a reformed man and maybe uh, join the gang for for Paddington 3? <laughs> um, no. I think, I, think, I, think, <laughs> I think he found himself strangely happy in jail. Yeah. It's like that character in the Shawshank Redemption. When they let him out, he couldn't cope and right, committed right. a crime because he wanted to go back in. I think he loved those... <laughs> Those big men in their stripy uniforms, actually. Yeah, he's got, place. he's got a captive audience, too. So, uh, yes. so uh, you mentioned you are working, or you have finished working on The Undoing. Is there, uh, what can you tell us about yes. that? Well, um, it quivers with spoilers. Oh, I, I haven't really had much practice at pitching this or telling people about it. But, but basically, me and uh, Nicole Kidman are a married couple in the Upper East Side of New York. She's a shrink. I'm a child cancer doctor. And uh, we have a son. And uh, he goes to a posh uh, school. And then at the end of episode one, one of the mothers of the school, one of the prettiest mothers, (laughs) is horribly murdered. And I disappear. Oh, good Lord. So you're. Yes. Do you, you want to see episode two now? <laughs> I do. I do want to see episode two yes. now. Okay. Uh, well, there you go. Sounds like you might be playing another uh, man with secrets. <laughs> uh, or not. Or not. Or not. Who can say? I could be entirely innocent. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, so during your break from acting, you worked closely with the Hacked Off organization, which advocates for a free and accountable press. Now that you're, you know, so busy, are you still able to work with the group? And if so, what's what capacity do you work with them? Yeah, you know, I'm still there. I'm still on the board. I go to board meetings whenever I can. Keep a careful eye on it. Uh, help them do fundraising. And um, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's it's just as important now as it was when we started. Yeah, uh, it was always about two things. It was about uh, abuses in practice of, of the tabloid press and, right. you know, not just hacking phones, but stealing medical records uh, and, and not, not particularly of celebrities. I've never been interested in them, really. It was, right. it was of people who, for instance, lost kids in 
terrorist incidents and things like that. But the other side of it was always the incredible power of the British press. It was just a few newspapers owned by a few, but not even British owners who who don't really pay full tax in in Britain, Mm -hmm. but who literally run the country. And they're running it now. I mean, you know, uh, the big right-wing papers owned by uh, a few people are really dragging us over the cliff into a no-deal Brexit, mm-hmm. and it's very scary. It's very scary. People always say, oh, Britain's the cradle of democracy. Well, it isn't. It isn't. Our, our democracy, is ent- uh, democracy is entirely compromised and corrupted by the influence of these uh, these big newspaper owners. Forgive my language, but it was pretty badass in 2011 when you, you know, kind of exposed the illegal phone tapping going on with the, your interview with that former paparazzo of news in the world. And I'm wondering, like, has anyone ever approached you about turning that into a movie or a TV series? Because it seems like ripe for that. The whole story, uh, not just of me bugging the guy who bugged me, right. but the the larger story around what was exposed then, particularly this one uh, egregiously revolting incident where they, they tapped the phone of a, a young girl who was subsequently murdered. Yeah. And it gave their, it was a long story, but it gave their parents false hope. Um, that that book has been written and that book has been sold. And I think George Clooney had a script um, written around it, but I'm not quite sure what's happened to it. I mean, part of the problem I can see for anyone making that film is there's, there's no ending yet. We true. don't know how this story ends. That's true, yeah. They should just come to you to play a role in it if it ever does get made, uh, <laughs> if you're interested. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, in the, before I did The Undoing, I, I did um, Guy, Ritchie, Guy Ritchie's next film, which is called The Gentleman. Mm-hmm. And I do play a private investigator working for a tabloid newspaper. Oh. He, uh, he thought that was amusing casting, <laughs> and I had a lot of fun doing it. And in fact, in researching the role, I had lunch with uh, a man who used to regularly tap my phone. Really? Yeah, and you are you on like decent terms now, or <laughs> how did that? Yes, well, a, a, num- a number of these guys who were the foot soldiers of the of the tabloid big beast papers have now come over to our side. Yeah, and uh, in fact, come to my birthday party sometimes. And there uh, was one guy who who was who burgled my flat on the orders of uh, the News of the World. He came to my birthday party. That is an unusual feeling. I mean, there's there's your ending, right? For your <laughs> if George Clooney ever makes the well, there's a scene. Yeah, <laughs> it it, yeah. it could be ending on a note of hope, you know, like uh, yeah, fences mended. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to me today. And uh, do you think you will attend the Emmys? I know it's a long trip. Yeah, I'm coming. Okay, I'm coming. Good. <laughs> it's a it's a lovely treat and an honor. And uh, my wife likes these treats because she gets to leave the children behind with her mother for a weekend and sleep in a first-class seat of British Airways for 11 hours. Well, she, she hasn't really been asleep for two years. <laughs> I don't doubt it, yeah. Yes, well, thank you so much, and congratulations again. Yeah, nice of you. Thanks a lot. That'll do it for this week's episode of The Awardist. If you like what you hear, give us a rating and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't like it or just want to talk TV, tweet at us. I'm at Kristen G. Baldwin, and she's at Lynette Rice. Let us know what you think and join us again next time.